Hi there, I'm Karen Dunn of KMD Productions. From the equipment manufacturers to the engineers to the business people behind the scenes, over the years, every member of the pro audio corner of the music industry has become family to me, and it's my job to bring the whole eclectic crew together. Each episode, I'll introduce you to one of these characters and open a window into my world of creating community in pro audio. Thanks for tuning in to One and Done. I'd like to welcome Josh Goodwin. He's a mixing engineer and producer. Hi, Josh. Thank you so much for doing this with me today. Hi, Karen. Thanks for inviting me on. Yeah. I usually start this by talking about how we met. And I don't know you really well, but the way we met is I was going to go see Rose Mancherney for the weekend. And she said, do you want to go to a wedding? She said, there are two people. They're really nice. They worked at Record Plant. And I said, yeah, sure. Because how do you say no to Rose, right? Yeah, it's hard. So I met you and Buffy at your wedding. And you guys were very gracious. You probably thought, who is this person we didn't invite? But it was a great wedding. I had a lot of fun. And then um, Buffy and I have seen each other since then. And we text and we chat and you were at the Pensado Awards a couple of times too. So absolutely. So that's how we know about each other. Can you tell me about, well, Buffy said that you love her a lot. So I did want to mention that. How did you guys meet? Was it at the record plant? Yeah, we actually met inside the record plant. Um, she was working with Ron Fair and I was assistant engineering sessions at the time on, on, a, on a different grind. And uh, she was dating a friend of mine. Um, we went to a couple of shows, hung out, they broke up. And then, you know, I got together with Buffy and that was 12 years ago. Wow. And how long have you been married? Uh, a little over four. Okay. Yeah. Bullshit. Hold on. <laughs> Almost seven, actually. Wow. Yeah. Do you know your wedding anniversary? I do. It's the 31st of August. Oh, good for you. Yeah. My wedding anniversary is May 1st because I figured it was a date I would never forget. I couldn't tell you how many years, but I always remember the day. Yeah. Why don't you talk a little bit about, you were in the Marines. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that and also how you went from the Marines into the music industry? Yeah. Um, well, I was going to school in Gainesville, Florida at Santa Fe Community College not really doing much and just, you know, in, the, in a party circuit, really kind of just bailing on school and stuff like that. And mm -hmm. kind of woke up one day and felt like I needed like a drastic change in my life or I was going to go down like a path that I, I saw myself going down and wasn't really into that. So I don't know what it was that was like, once you join the Marines, um, my grandpa was a World War II veteran, um, but he never like pushed military service on us, mm -hmm. on, on his grandkids. I don't know. It was, it was like one of those impulsive things. I was like, if I can get through this four-year term with the Marines, then I could do whatever I want afterwards and be fine. But it always seems to me, not knowing, that Marines is the hardest discipline to go into of all the military services. I mean, they're all a little different. You know, Marines think they are, of course. Um, <laughs> but, you know, we're all a little different. But um, what was I saying? Yeah, okay. So, well, in the Marines, you know, I was deployed for four years the whole time and away from family and friends. So halfway towards, you know, my enlistment, I was like, ah. I don't know if I really want to spend more more time in this. I think I got what I need to get after four is a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and at the time, I was like a hobbyist musician, uh, you know, playing guitar and singer songwriting with a couple of Marine buddies of mine and recording ourselves with Pro Tools, not really knowing what to do or how we're doing. Uh -huh. it. Um, and so by the time I got out, I came to California to, uh, to visit some friends and they were all doing music production and music and just in their apartments and making songs. And like, you know, I immediately fell in love. I was like, this is what I want to do now. Uh -huh. And, you know kind of approach it in that kind of way and just took it there. Did you grow up with music in your house? Are your parents, were they oh. musicians? What's that background? Well, my mom's a pianist um, and they're both like avid music listeners. And my grandparents, you know, I have fond memories of them like dancing to jazz music in the living room and oh, very cool. always, always had, mu family always had music on. Uh -huh. 
And was there, I, I grew up with Old Country and Frank Sinatra and Edith Piaf. So what kind of music did you grow up listening to? Um, I grew up, my dad's like a, a rock guy. So like Eric Clapton and Led Zeppelin and stuff like that. And my mom is like a blues guy or blues girl. And she, you know, like B.B. King and Stevie oh, Ray cool. yeah. and Jimmy and like things like that. So, you know, that kind of mesh. My dad was also really into classical music, which I never got into personally. But, mm-hmm. you know, that was that was on a lot. My dad had like stacks of CDs and he had a stereo player that was dope. And, you know, so I just put on headphones and listen to some of those musics and stare at that uh, Blind Faith album cover with the naked chick. Was uh, it was it Blind Faith? I don't know. I don't know, I but I know the cover. I got to look that up. Do you think being in the military influenced your work life at all? The discipline or just all that kind of stuff. Are there any takeaways from being in the Marines that you incorporate in your daily work life? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, when when you're when you're put through so much mental um stress and mental independence, mm-hmm. that kind of thing, um, day in and day out without like being able to just be like, all right, I'm done. Um, you know, after after a couple of years of that, anything else is kind of easy. <laughs> like just coming up as an engineer, sleeping on couches overnight, you know, and like doing sessions in the morning and then going home in a shower and then coming back and doing sessions for like years. Mm-hmm. That was kind of fun. You know, going on the road and just like being away from home and traveling to new places and just, you know, everything set up and lined up, you know, that's kind of fun. Mm-hmm. And so all that stuff for me was really easy to do. Um, and only I would say to the point where I just started mixing a lot, a lot, a lot, I kind of been able to taper off that a little bit too. Um, but there's a lot of discipline in, in uh, professionally mixing as well, because, you know, there's just, just a lot that goes into that. Right. You do seem to be working all the time. I, it was tough to schedule this with you just because your schedule is just crazy busy. And you have a whole bunch of fame right now. And you're doing a lot of stuff. And I'm sure people want you to to mix their records and be a part of what they're doing. How do you deal with that and not let all that fame go to your head? Because you seem like a pretty grounded guy. Yeah, I'm kind of more of a behind the scenes, like not introvert, but like it doesn't make me feel good to like talk about myself a lot. Like I don't like it's hard for me to do certain things like post certain things that like, you know, Buffy encourages me to post. Mm -hmm. And also, I still always feel like a student in my mind and I never feel like I've, I got this shit. Like, you know, it's like it's all like to me, it's just a process because I'm always learning new shit every day when I mix and, and techniques and styles and just flow essentially. And I still don't I still am insecure about some of my mixes and all that shit. You know, I'm, you know, like Badu said, she's an artist and sensitive about her shit. So I feel the same way. And uh, I just don't let it get to my head. You know, I have a I have a wife that holds me down in the most positive way and we're you know, we're building, we built our, our company and our, our brand from scratch mm-hmm. together. And that's another thing too, is like, like we're not chasing a status. We're literally just doing what we, what's coming to us right. and, you know, serving now, essentially. How is that working with Buffy? Some people cannot work with their significant other at all. Yeah. So how is that with you guys? It seems to be pretty successful and working out okay. It's successful. It is challenging. I cannot lie <laughs> and say it's not challenging because, you know, there's so much business to talk about. Like, I don't want to talk about money, rates, schedule. I don't want I just want stuff to do. You know, and right. and Buffy knows all that stuff. And then when those two when those two have to blend, sometimes those conversations have to happen. Um, you know, it can get stressful. It's like just like you know any kind of like relationship, and then you got to shut it off and then go back to the marriage part. So you know, right. it's it's a struggle and it's stressful. But I think every relationship has a struggle, and you know whether that whatever is business or you know who knows what the freak. Yeah. <laughs> 
I'm trying not to curse. That's why I said. That's okay. Uh, Podcast, you can say whatever you want, unless you're trying for a personal reason. I don't care. I'm not. No. No. I just want to like hurt your podcast or something. Oh no, I've been in this industry too long. People always, if they say swear in front of me, it's just like really, you don't think that I've heard this before. Here's another thing too. Sorry if you were gonna get ready to jump on the next thing, but like with Buff and I. Uh We've been in it for so long together that she knows what I like. Like we know each other well in that kind of sense. And to bring a, a third person in on that, at, like it just doesn't feel right either. Mm-hmm. As long as I'm happy, as long as she's happy and she wants to do it and I want her to do it, you know, and that's that's the case. Yeah. So. A long time ago, um, one of the years that I was doing Tech Awards, we used to have volunteers. I'd get calls for people to come. They'd want to work for free and, you know, help out. I always said yes. So. Rose always helped me. And one year, this one woman volunteered and I didn't know her, but I said, sure. And she was going around um, pitching herself to people like Ed and Al and whoever was there. So Rose said, you can't do this anymore. You need to interview people. And I've, I'd never interviewed anybody. So I said, well, how do I do that? She said, you have to find people who have something in their life other than music, whether it's cooking or dogs or working out, but there have to be other things. And that was the best advice because that's what I do all the time. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because it seems like you have a really good work-life balance and you seem to do so much that isn't concerned directly with music. Now, I understand that you have a, a circuit, a workout circuit in your backyard that you and your dad build. Yeah, well, me and my dad built a pull-up bar in my backyard. Um, part of like being a Marine is being able to do pull-ups and Marine pull-up bars are very archaic and just the fact that they're two wood poles and a bar. Uh-huh. So we dug out and built that out in our backyard. Um, but as far as the circuit goes, I found that, you know, when I do physically move and exercise, I feel better and all, you know, in my mind and my body mm-hmm. and I feel younger and stronger. Um, just it happens pretty quickly too. like to just take a couple of weeks to get into it, you know? Um, and also I've been living in the music industry for over a decade now with endless food budgets, freaking, you know, whatever you kind of want, you uh-huh. kind of can get it, you know, it's like, and I've had access and I've been able to touch all those things. And at this point in my life, I'm 40 years old. My dad's 67 and I see my dad. I'm like, holy shit, that's 27 years to go. Mm-hmm. So I could literally burn myself down for 20 or I could try to like, you know, just keep my body in the best physical condition it can be. So when I'm 67, I could be enjoying myself better than my pops. Right. You know, the goal is to be better. Right. How many pull-ups can you do? Um, I honestly don't know. I haven't done like a max, but I could probably do like 12 right now, maybe 13. Um, but with the circuit, it's kind of cool because you just work your way up and then work your way back down. Mm-hmm. And then the number at the end is, you know, 25 to 35 or 40. Uh-huh. Did you work out at all before you went to the Marines? Was that ever part of your life or something that you learned? No, it was a little bit of my life. Um, but, you know, it's I was never like a fitness poster child type of person. Mm-hmm. You know, I have two brothers and we were always active. Um, so I've always lived a pretty active lifestyle. Uh-huh. You go camping once a year, right? You have a family outing. Yeah. Just your dad and your brothers or how is that? Well, it's usually the brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, last couple of years, my brother's daughter has been coming, who is now 15. Um, and my youngest brother plans out the hikes. So they're usually five to seven days um, backpacking uh-huh. and we pack in and take all our stuff and get water from river streams and, you know, alpine lakes and pump water and, you know, camp. So I have two questions. When is Amelia going to be able to go with you? She wants to go now. <laughs> <laughs> she talks about climbing a mountain with Papa every day. Oh, that's so cool. Um, she'll go whenever she can carry her own food in her backpack. 
Okay. You know, if she can carry that weight, she can come. Okay. We went backpacking when I was a kid, but we would go pack into somewhere, usually in Wyoming, but we would have donkeys take everything in. We didn't have to carry anything. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. What's your favorite place that you've gone camping? Do you have a favorite spot? Um, you know, they're all, they all, they all have like, uh, their perks. Mm-hmm. Um, this last trip we did was in the Pacific Northwest, you know, a couple miles shy of Canada. Uh-huh. Um, and it was, it was a great hike because there was no one around. You maybe saw like two or four people a day. Some days, no one. Mm-hmm. And there's no sounds. It's just us. Um, so any, anytime I can go on a, on a, on a camping trip and not have to see a lot of people uh-huh. hear any man-made sounds is incredible. What do you think is the thing that you get out of most when you're out on these trips? Uh, you know, you got time for yourself when you're walking and you got some weight on your back and you're going up and down and up and down. Like it's, it's a personal internal thing. And it gives you time to really think about stuff like, you know, you start thinking about things that you haven't thought about sometimes for 20 years or 10 years or whatever. You're like, how'd that pop into my head? Mm-hmm. You know, I think the brain goes into this kind of this. I don't know what it does, but it it, take, it it has access to things that, you know, consciously we don't have access right. to. Um, so it's refreshing, you know, like right. that. Just just having your brain work that way is pretty awesome. Right. And then are your brothers in the music business? No. So you don't have to talk music at all if you don't want. No, my brothers aren't in the music business. That must be nice just to be able to just talk about other things. Absolutely. Yeah, we don't talk about anything <laughs> music related wise. Uh-huh. I mean, they're all music listeners, but, you know, we don't talk about business, period. When you started in the industry, it, it kind of walks the line between the old and new schools. How have you been able to navigate that overall? I came up, um, the most tape I did was just doing some like tape transfers and light tracking to tape. It wasn't a big part of my coming in mm-hmm. um, to the music industry. So, you know, I took to the digital side a little bit, you know, more, harder from the start and can't kind of went with that. Um, the old school heads, you know, like I got nothing but respect for those guys and, and, I was thankful and grateful enough to have them, you know, give me the same respect that I gave them. So, you know, the old heads, a little portion of them kind of blessed me in, in a good way, which I always love. Like, I, I always love seeing Ed Sheeran, like, walk through the Grammys and be like, like Josh, good luck. And like, you know, like, things like that, you know, it's like those moments I, I took in and, and took to the heart. And I, I tried to do the same thing to young engineers and producers coming up and just kind of like, you know. We're all in this together in a sense, yeah. but I'm just a little bit ahead of you or a little bit behind you. Uh-huh. Yeah. I know that you like to mentor a lot. What advice do you usually give upcoming engineers or upcoming students that you talk to? Because I'm sure they all want to be you or someone like you or someone better than you. But, you know, you had your own path to get there. So what do you tell people who are new? I mean, you know, it depends what they come at me with. Um, some people want to like beat other mixers mixes. And I'm like, dude, it's not about that. Like what we do is way deeper than just mixing a record. Like, um, and I I try to give them the honest advice that, you know, I wish someone would have given me Mm -hmm. kind of thing or that, you know, why would I not be honest with people and tell them like, yo, you're thinking about the wrong things. Right. You know, or like try to look at this perspective and, you know, a lot of the guys from Record Plant hit me up and asked me about shit like that. I just give them straight up advice, like, you know. Now, you have a staff of four engineers. I understand there's two women and two men. Yep. What were you looking for when you hired them? Well, um, I met my first assistant engineer that I ever had at Full Sail. Uh-huh. I went down there for a Hall of Fame uh, week, uh-huh. um, and he was on point. I was like, bro, if you want to come to L.A. and, and I need an assistant pretty soon, he was like, come out. Um, so he did. Um, but he was also a music pro- uh, producer and like a uh, electronic music uh, producer and like kind of wanted to pursue that. So after his, so the two year term I got from Dave Pensato, you know, two years max, like mm-hmm. unless you graduate into another position that just happens to reveal itself, uh-huh. you know, cause jobs just 
reveal themselves sometimes. It's like, hey, why don't you do that? Because you're already kind of doing that, you know? Uh-huh. Um, so I needed another guy. Um, so we hit up Mark Wessel uh, from Berkeley. And then, you know, he sent us a bunch of people, interviewed a couple of people. And my next uh, assistant engineer was Elijah, mm-hmm. who is now uh, my Atmos engineer, the main engineer in the Atmos room. Um, then COVID happened. So Elijah did a little bit longer than his two-year term. Went back to Toronto, I think it was. And then we, we had hit up Mark Wessel again for another round of, of Berkeley grads. And then I got Heidi um, mm-hmm. from that batch. Then Elijah came back to LA from Toronto, and now he's in this room most of the time. And then we needed like a, a like a overnight kind of person for the Atmos room because uh-huh. there's just like so many deliverables and stuff that takes time to do that. It, one person can't do it. Um, so we hired Anna for that. And then we needed a kind of you know a go between each room, a kind of utility type of engineer. And then we hired Dylan mm-hmm. for that. So. It's not a necessity. We had to hire people. Yeah. Well, it's a good thing that you need to hire people. Yeah. If there's someone coming out of Berkeley or any full sale, any of them, and they send you a resume, what is the one thing that you're looking for, whether it's in the resume or when you interview them in person? What makes someone stick out? I don't look at any resumes. Buffy looks at the resumes. Buffy knows how to look look at that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. she she knows how to like, like what what? Or like Okay, let's zoom. And then so we've she's just been holding like, you know, initial Zoom conversations to to really catch a personality because it's a, uh, you know, your skills one thing, your personality is one thing. If you could spend all this time with people, the personality has to match the person you're trying to be with. Um and so she's looking for that and she's also looking for work ethic. She's also looking for flags, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And then once she boils down that to a couple people, then I'll meet them and then, you know, choose who I think is going to best fit. Right. What we do. Right. So is that fit like attitude wise or skill wise? Mainly attitude because, you know, I we could teach anybody how to do anything over here. Um, you know, this is a lot of what we do is learned. A lot of what we do is also just instinctually felt mm-hmm. emotionally. So right now I'm doing the mixing. So I need someone that I could teach things to, to, to keep the operation going and to make it easy for me when it's time for me to come in and mix. Right. And then... You know, does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. It really does. You know, I've done a lot of the speed mentoring things that you and Buffy have done. And the question I always ask is like, what is like one of the most important characteristics someone needs to have that's coming into the business? And every time people say you have to be a good hang. Yeah. You agree with that? Yeah, because, you know, if you feel like you're hang- you're working and someone doesn't want to be there, it's like, it's like, oh, shit, I'm keeping this person here. They don't want to be here. I know they don't want to be here. This is day 10 of this session. Like, I know like, you know, all these things go in your mind and then that takes my mind off of the music and the mm-hmm. song uh-huh. and what I'm doing to the song and what I'm doing to the music and energy is very, you can feel when someone's angry. My dog knows when, you know, Buffy and I are having a conversation. That's not a normal conversation. You know, like energy is felt. Mm-hmm. So that's extremely, I mean, hanging is clear, clean energy. Right. You know, it doesn't take anything away. If it only it gives to you, right? When you're mixing something, what kind of vibe do you bring into the mix? What do you, like, I know some people see things in colors and some people, you know, hear the sounds, but how is that process for you? Um, My process is this. In my heart and in my soul and in my inner being, when something feels perfectly right for me, I get flushed with an emotion. I get flushed with feeling and whether it's goosebumps or like, I feel it in my, my whole body tingles. If I get all of my mixes to do that to me, uh-huh. that's what I do. And I do that with all those songs and I get high off of every song I mix because I, I, I'm able to take it to a point where it gets me, gives me that feeling, you know? 
what happens if you're not getting that feeling? Is it like basketball where you can shoot all these threes and you keep missing and then finally you get one? I mean, is it that same kind of thing? Yeah. You know, some some songs are hard to get there and some songs don't get there. Usually when songs don't get there, I found with experience, I always felt like it was something that I was doing wrong. Mm-hmm. But, you know, music is a has a phase relationship. And when things on the production side or things on the, the recording side have phase issues, they make you feel weird. They make you feel nauseous. Like, you know, you could hear a sound and it makes you feel nauseous or sick. Uh-huh. And certain songs don't have the proper production and have all these little phase things that I'm unable to get that feeling because there's all these relationships that were incorrect to begin with coming to me. Oh, that's so interesting. Uh-huh. And so like I used to freaking bite off all of my fingernails, not right now, but try, you know, when I sent off a mix that I couldn't get right because like all that, you know, and like after doing this for like years, I'm just like, I think it's a little deeper in that. Mm-hmm. You know, because I don't always get like that. That's a rare thing. Are you like that in your life outside of music? Like, do you experience things that way? A little bit. Yeah. Like um, a little bit. Not too much. So it's mostly here when you're working. Yeah. You know, I don't I don't want to like talk about like illicit things. But, no, 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 no. You know, but I'm just it's you're focused on your work. It's easier to feel that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's like a runner's high. I don't know if, you know, like if you if you work your body out to a point, you know, you start feeling that, you know, you get flush with that kind of feeling. It's that same way, but without having to do physical work. Yeah. Have you ever had to work with someone whose expectations are really different than what you want to do? Like you feel like it should be a certain way, but the client wants something else? Yeah, I, I do feel that way. Uh, a couple of times I've had that happen, you know. The thing about that is like I'm not servicing myself, I'm servicing your record. So if it doesn't work out, it's not a personal thing, even though it's personal. Right. Um, and also, I'm never going to get in the way of what someone wants to do with a song. You know, it's not my song to begin with. Mm-hmm. You know, if, if they want to do it the, that route, whether I think it's destroying or not, you know, that's on them. Yeah. So, but I try to work well with everyone that I work with. Obviously, you're not going to be able to work well with everyone and you're not going to nail every mix. There's a lot of different things that go into it. Right. What are some of the things that you teach either your interns or your new hires? Are there specific things that you do teach them? Process. Yeah. They're, if you're new, you're doing little tasks mm-hmm. and you're doing a lot of them until I know you could do that task and then you do another task. You do it a lot and then you get another task. So all the, the foundation is laid mm-hmm. and then we graduate and do some more foundation and more foundation and more foundation and then bye. You know, they jump off the tree and hope they fly. Right. Do you have a, and I'm not ever supposed to ask these questions, but I do. Do you have a favorite artist to work with? Mm, it's like my, the, the way I work with Bieber is differently from any other artist. I have a lot of responsibilities and I play a lot of different roles with, mm-hmm. the, with Bieber. So in that sense, like, you know, Justin gave me my career in mixing. He, he's let me mix albums of his, you know, and that opened doors for me, like giant doors, like the doors you see on vacations in those big ass houses doors, not just like uh-huh. a <laughs> So he has to be my favorite. At the same time, mixing is giving energy and you get energy back when the mix is done. It's very Mm -hmm. clean. It's very, it's very reciprocated. Um, So there are certain artists that I like mixing with that give me a feeling too. You know what Uh I'm saying? Yeah. I get that from a lot of people. I don't, I don't play favorites, you know? Yeah. It's nice to get that back and forth though. You're expending energy. They're expending energy. Mixing's the best because of that. Now, how did you and Justin Bieber get together initially? How did that start? Well, I met Justin because I was working uh, with Ku Carell. I was his engineer for like 
a couple years, you uh-huh. know, a couple hundred songs of cutting. Uh-huh. Um, and Justin was one of uh, Kook's guys that he okay. used to work with. Um, so I met Justin at Henson. And, you know, we spent a lot of time together working on albums and we played a lot of ping pong together. Uh-huh. Um, and so we were able to bond in that in that you know, in that time. Um, Kook went on the road to work with Rihanna on her Loud album. On You know, Rihanna was on tour. Um, so Kook was on the road with Rihanna. I went on the road with Rihanna. Rihanna also had her engineer, Marcos Tovar. And so there was three engineers on the bus. And so after that tour uh, for Rihanna's next album, she's like, we don't need three engineers this time. So I fell back. Kook went back on, on the road. Mm-hmm. And like literally three days later, Justin called me. He's like, hey, are you available to come record while I'm on the road? I'm like, shit. Yes. Had a conversation with Kook, talked about it. Um, and then years later, you know. Is your relationship with him more than just client engineer now? Because I talked to Robert Scoville about Tom Petty and we just talked about how it, his relationship had transformed from just working for him to like be part of the family. So is it the same kind of thing with you? Yeah, absolutely. You know, the thing about Justin and I is we spent so much time outside of making music together, mm-hmm. you know, traveling, being in close proximity, you know, being in situations that aren't normal um, and doing that at a high frequency, you know, that builds bonds between people. Right. And Justin's a very he he has a, a tight core team that he's chosen to do what they do you know so yeah the bond's a little different than just like sent file sent file so right, you know, it's, right. it's not like that you know we have we have talks about stuff when when i'm going through a, a, a mental you know a mental wall in my life you know I, i'm able to talk to him about it he's open to talk about everything with me too so we're able to share information and share our feelings together and have that kind of conversation mm-hmm. to lift the air you know what i'm saying right yeah it's that vibe thing like if I'm struggling with something and I need to talk to him about it because I'm it, whether it's working too much or whether it's not feeling like this or whatever the case is, you know, you could hold that emotion inside of you and it affects everything you do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, thankfully in our career, we, me and him have been able to talk about that with each other and grow over yeah. it instead of fucking. Whoa. Yeah. Yeah. That, no, that's very unique and special because not everybody can do that. Yeah. One of the reasons to start this podcast is because I love this pro audio community. I think the people are totally awesome. And it's just, see, the people that are in it, there are more than whatever they're famous for. You know, there's, there's just so much to it. I ask everybody, what is your definition of community? What does community mean to you? Um, community, I don't know what it means to me. To to be honest, just, I, I grew up with so many people around all the time in a community. Uh-huh. You know, like the Marines is, is a community like this, this, this. Uh-huh. Um, I found that the the industry, the community that I felt is a little bit different from someone maybe not in the music production inside, mm-hmm. inside. Like I, I'm in a freaking arena all the fucking time mm-hmm. and like, you know, we're throwing down daily. Uh, so the community is a little different. Like I work so much, my coworkers work so much. Like we only text each other when like, you know, it's, I find community outside of the industry. Um, I spend so much time inside it. I have to find the majority of my community now is right just like satellite around it uh-huh. only because i need i need to be able to feel normal yeah you know i i can't my life is so music like you know my me and my wife talk about me like it's just everywhere and you know well people have different communities right i've had people tell me that community is about family community or friends it doesn't have to be specifically just this industry but community I think, especially with the whole pandemic, if you had a community and a lot of people want to be part of a community, then, mm-hmm. you know, just to be able to connect yeah. and, and be part of something bigger. Yeah. I mean, family and friends for sure are important. I have some long friends that I've known 
uh, before I came to LA that are in LA that we spend time with Marine, a couple of Marine buddies of mine live in LA that, that we work out with. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have, I have a, I have a strong communal side outside of the music industry. And at the same time, I know so many assistant engineers and young producers from before the, anything happened. No, any, those dudes hit me up for anything, like whatever, like I'm, my, my door is, I have an open door policy here, like to come mm-hmm. in and learn if you are that type of person. Uh-huh. You'd be surprised at how many people do not take that opportunity. You know, it's all about being open to learn and change all the time. I think, mm-hmm. I think it'd be a great opportunity. I hear you love fish. Tell me why you like them so much. It's a, they definitely have a devoted following. So what is it about them that you love so much? Okay. Here's the thing about fish. <laughs> I never liked, I knew kids in, in middle school that used to go and I never liked it. I never even entertained it. Um, Justin's guitar player, Dan Canner was, I was on the road with him for a couple of years and he'd be like, yo, you coming on a tour this year? You coming on a tour this year? I'm like, hell no, man. Come on. Uh, he finally got me to a show in 2014, introduced me the proper way with the proper people, you know, got to know the band a little bit. And then the music is not for everyone, but it's, there is a, there is a time where it clicks like this and you get that feeling and you get it multiple times a show. Uh-huh. And so when I find those feelings, I'm going back to that feeling again. You know what I'm saying? Like uh-huh. there's nothing that makes you feel that kind of way. I understand that you're into cryptocurrency. Yeah. You know, at this point in my life, um, 2014, I, I was on an island with Bieber and I met this guy and he's like, we had, you know, had a lot of drinks, having fun all night. And then he's like, yo, how much money you got in stocks? And I was like, oh, fuck. Zero. Okay. He was like, throw this, 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 and that, and that, and that, and that. And so after a couple of years of doing that, I'm like, oh, shit, this is something. Um, and so to backtrack off, off the crypto for a minute, you know, I'm 40 years old in my life. We don't, you know, being in this industry, I don't have a 401k. I don't have compensation right. from anyone. I don't have insurance. Like, I could have a lot of money now and not have anything lined up for later and then have no money later. Mm-hmm. That's a fact of our our, our lifestyle. Right. Um, and so he also explained to me the hands. He's like, you got your job, you got this, you got this. These all should be doing something for you. And so the way I look at it is, you know, I have a job, I have a home, I have, you know, stocks, crypto, and like I'm trying to, to put things on all of my fingers that make my life easier mm-hmm. for when I need it or for when it's time to go have send Ami G to college or whatever the case is. Like, you know, I'm fortifying my life, my lifestyle. So, you know, Buff and I can do this for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the thing with crypto is everything's digital right now. Like I'm not here talking to you. Like I can't feel your physical energy because you're not here right, right now. Right, right. Um, so we're technically dipping our toes deep into this digital realm. And, you know, I could buy things like this. Sorry, I'm hitting my desk. <laughs> I can buy things digitally with cash. Mm-hmm. I can also buy di- things digitally with crypto. And it's such a new thing that um, it's hard to understand for a lot of people. And the the swings are so high and drastic that it scares the shit out of a lot of people, you know. But to me, it's super fascinating. Like, you know, I'm in it. Don't you just have to get in it and then just not worry about it for a while? Because the swings are crazy. Absolutely. But, you know, when you look at a chart and you look at a, pro- a trajectory of life, all these things in between, uh-huh. like there's, there's times where I'm crushing it and, and working home. And I feel like a turd. And then there's times where I'm not doing stuff and I feel great. So like I'm doing this, but my my trajectory of my life is like this. The same thing with crypto. It's like, but once you look at it from a year, it's a little different than looking at every day and freaking out about shit. Yeah, exactly. It's like life has a way of, you know, playing itself out the way it needs to play out. Like you can only do things the right way and just hopefully they work out. Any recommendations for me? For crypto? Uh-huh. No, <laughs> not a financial advisor. 
I'll have you lose like 20K and you call me, you know, <laughs> trying to kill me. <laughs> nah, I wouldn't do that. I'd call Buffy. Yeah. No, the thing is, you know, there's, there's so much information, especially Twitter. Yeah. Like Twitter has like a crypto Twitter, essentially, and a stock Twitter. Like these people are talking about what they're doing every day. And, you know, there's a lot of education out there. So yeah, there is. even if you spend six months just like researching it and reading about it until you feel comfortable getting involved with it. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, do your due diligence, obviously. Yeah. Don't, be, don't oh, yeah. be doing things because I say to do things. And I'm not talking to you, Karen. I'm talking to whoever's watching <laughs> right. this. No, no, totally. I know that you like to read inspiring books a lot. What kind of topics and what do you get out of reading them? Um, well, I like reading s- stories about people's lives. Mm-hmm. And I'm assuming not necessarily just in the music business, based on our conversation. Nothing in the music business. Um, and I like hearing, reading stories about people's philosophies on life and on science and on, um, like, I need, I need something to take me out of my normal life and make me think a little bit differently and make my mind uh, move in a different direction than it normally does. Mm-hmm. And so, like, reading fantasy books don't do that for me. Uh-huh. Reading, a, like, you know, Matthew McConaughey's book, Greenlight, for example, that book inspired me because I'm reading his stories. I'm like, oh, shit. Okay. Okay. And, you know, he's, he's gone through things and he explains things the way I understand them. And, you know, it makes me smile inside when I read books like that. Mm-hmm. And it also lets me know that, you know, I'm on course with my life. I'm no fucking Matthew McConaughey, but, you know, like there's things in my life that I can relate to the way he thinks and the way he operates with his, you know, and I like that kind of stuff. Uh-huh. That's interesting. Do, do you think that you would ever want to write a book like that? Yeah. I mean, I have a lot of, I have a couple hundred pages written on stuff. Um, I'm sorry, not a couple hundred pages, a couple thousand words. Like I think I'm at like seven to 10,000 words Uh on like on a, you know, a thing that I'm doing, but I go through phases where to me, I want to do it. And then I go through phase where I like, why would I, why am I doing this? Mm -hmm. You know? So I'm not ready yet, but I I have been uh, writing for years. Do you find it like a release to be able to write stuff down? I think for me, writing's really hard. It's like, it's great in my head, but trying to transfer it from what's inside to paper or a computer doesn't work at all for me. Yeah, I have to be in the right mindset to do that, to commit to that too. But when I, I find it that when, when I am in the right mindset, I didn't even know I was and I'm just starting to just write. Yeah, that's interesting. You know? Yeah. And the more you write, the easier it's supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I haven't crossed that path yet. No, though. me neither. That <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about your Atmos studio. It's Atmos is everywhere. Mm-hmm. And so why should engineers be paying attention to Atmos right now and other immersive engineering? Uh, well, I might be wrong with this like years down the road, but you know, this the integration that we have with technology is soon going to be really, really integrated in my opinion. Um, and Atmos is, it's all around, it's everywhere, it's immersive. And essentially technology, once it becomes immersive, like your like our glasses or our lenses or our contacts or, you know, a chip or whatever the hell is, you know, everything goes in and then everything becomes immersive. Like when there was mono, it was one and then stereo is two. And, you know, 914 is a big change from two. Uh-huh. But um, I don't know. I think it's definitely something that it's, it's kind of hard to stop at this point. Right. And the film guys have been doing it for decades. And, you know, you've never been to a movie theater and be like, yo, this sounds like, like, if the sound doesn't sound good, that's one thing. But like, you know, the way it makes you feel in those theaters, I haven't been in like two years, but yeah, um, you know, that shit sounds legit. It does. It's so cool to just be in the middle of all that. Yeah. And like stereo is cool. Like stereo is driving a fast car. I love stereo. It's like you're fucking mixing, you're creating this thing and you're dialing it in, you're dialing it in, you're dialing it in. And it's done. Um, Atmos is a little different. I try to approach my music the same way I approach stereo. I want to make me feel that kind of way. 
Yeah. Um, and with that, most, you know, it surrounds you in a different way than stereo surrounds you. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I can't imagine being stuck on mono, listening to mono, <laughs> only mono all the time. I, I get it, but I, you know, it's. There's something about being surrounded and just kind of being just like cocooned in with it. Yeah, it's that, it's that womb shit. It yeah. takes you right back to being in the womb. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Let's talk about Amelia and Sax. And we could do whichever you would like to talk about first. It's up to you. Let's talk about Amelia. You have a three-year-old. I do. Okay. You are very busy. Buffy's very busy. Mm-hmm. When I see Instagram with Buffy, you guys spend a lot of time together. You spend a lot of time with Amelia. So how do you balance that? And how do you not bring what's going on at work home when you're hanging out with her? Because three is a very active age. Yeah. Um, it's hard to not bring her work home for one. Mixing, I've I've been able to find a pocket where I don't I try not to spend too much time in the studio. I can mix, get my shit done and leave. You know, whether it's touching four songs from the start, revising six songs, jumping into the Atmos room and hitting three mixes, like before I started mixing, I was like, I need a day for a mix. I need two days for a uh-huh. mix. Now I go in and I fucking mix. Like it's not mixing once you know how to mix shouldn't take you all day. It's a song. There's elements. You get the elements, you fucking mix it. Like, right. Uh-huh. Um, so I've been able to prioritize my life. I want to be there when Ami wakes up. I want to be there before the sun's down so I could have some daylight play with her. And like, you know, I just want to be around her. She makes me feel great. You know, her energy is crazy. This like she's like a pure soul. Yeah. And she, there's never going to be a moment in my life that she's ever going to be that age again, that time again, because she's always growing so fast. Right. Um. So I want to be there for that. You know. And she spend any time with you in the studio? Does she have any mixing credits yet on anything you've done? You know, I haven't given her mixing credits yet, but you know, I, I take care of her elsewise. I, you know, there's there's guys that give their kids mixing credits, and I think that's cool. But you know, I haven't gone. Stacks has a mixing credit, but mix assistant credit. <laughs> Okay, let's talk about stacks because dogs are the best thing to talk about. Yep. How long you had stacks? Uh, I, I want to say six years. And what yeah. made you decide you needed a dog? And he's a rescue dog too, right? Yeah, I, I've had dogs my whole life, so having a dog was was a no brainer for me. And when I came to LA, I, I wasn't in a position to where I could care for a dog because mm-hmm. I was trying to get my foot in the door, and you know, the the call to come work was more important than anything at, at that time because I needed to, to get my start. And so I gave all of my energy into that. Um, but as soon as Buff and I were together, we had something going. You know, I've been talking about a dog for a couple of years. And then um, Dylan Dresdo, who's another mixer, his wife's coworker found a dog, rescue dogs. The girlfriend said, take them home or get rid of them. So Shelly took uh, Stacks to their house. They have two dogs. It was a dog yeah. tornado. Uh-huh. Dylan told me, knew I was looking for a dog and I met Stacks, and I was like, I love this dog. And, it, and I think Buff and I like met like 30 or 40 dogs before that. Wow. So you just knew yeah. though when you saw Stacks. Yeah. How did he and Amelia get along? They get along great. They're, they're little play pals. I worry about Stacks like accidentally, like, you know, biting her or something like mm-hmm. that. But he's, he's not aggressive towards her at all um and they love each other it's like stacks is like a i can't imagine being small and seeing a big dog like just come up to you like a face that's the same size as yours and like (laughs) she's growing up with that yeah it's cool one of my favorite things that i saw on buffy's instagram was there was one point where she was out washing a car or something and she had the hose and stacks was there and she was just squirting them in the face and he was loving it yeah it's freaking chomping at that yeah that's really funny okay last question and this is one of my favorites. I'm not a foodie. Everybody I know is a foodie. But my favorite question is, okay, so this assume I'm coming to see you and Buffy and we're going to go to dinner. So I want to know where we're going, what we're eating, what we're drinking, and what we're talking about. Okay, so that all depends for me on the person. Like, I have spots 
that I there are my go to spots. Okay. And if we're doing sushi, you know, we'll do Asanebo in the valley or go hit Masuhisa in you know on that side. So if we're going to get sushi, for example, we'll go cross Asanebo, get an omakase, drink some beer and sake. You know. Uh-huh. If we're going to like a steakhouse, we'll drink some big wines and freaking eat whatever we want. <laughs> And then conversation really is however it develops. Like, you know, I'm not like a super overly conversive person. Yeah, you're pretty quiet. Buffy is. She can converse. (laughs) But if everyone's having fun, like conversation's easy, you know? I heard you mention ramen earlier. And I do fucking love me some ramen. And why is that? Ramen's one of my favorites. Yeah, you know, I was... uh, I was in Okinawa, Japan for a couple of years in the Marines and I got deployed from Okinawa uh-huh. and like uh, Japanese like soba and Okinawa soba and ramen were just almost all the freaking time. You know, if you're not training and you got time to go out um, outside of the gate, always crush sushi or ramen. Ramen's really yeah. the best. And then I didn't realize that, you know, LA had such a big, you know, little ramen scene here when I first moved out here. And one of my friends, Louisa, took me to this ramen spot downtown. And then after that, I was like, oh, shit, here we go. <laughs> the ramen circuit. <laughs> So do you go work out extra after you have ramen? That's the thing, you know. If you're not if you're not earning your bowls of ramen <laughs> or earning that stuff, it's it's it'll hurt it'll hurt you. Yeah, but God, it's such a good thing. Mm-hmm. Well, that's it. Thank you so much, Josh. I appreciate you doing this. It's been fun. I enjoyed it. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of One and Done. Don't forget to check out today's show notes and our YouTube channel for more from our guests and subscribe to our KMD Pro weekly resource guide on kmdpro.com. This podcast is produced by Jules Everson and Stephanie Lamont. Our audio engineer is Corey Klotz. We'll see you next time.